Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, poet Harris Khalik of Pakistan speaks with American poet Christopher Merrill. Harris Khalik was born in Karachi, Pakistan in 1966. His father was a writer and filmmaker, his mother a writer and teacher. Khalik now lives in Islamabad and is a critically acclaimed and internationally recognized poet in Urdu and English. In 2013, he won the UBL Literary Excellence Award, which is the most prestigious independent literary award in Pakistan. Khalik also actively participates in social, labor, women, and minority rights movements and is currently a leader in the Voice and Accountability Program, which focuses on the rights of women and excluded groups in Pakistan. Christopher Merrill directs the International Writing Program at the University of Iowa. He has published six collections of poetry, and his work has been translated into 25 languages. He serves on the U.S. National Commission for UNESCO, and in 2012, President Obama appointed Merrill to the National Council on the Humanities. This conversation took place at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago in September 2015. We'll hear Harris Khalik read three of his poems, including one in Urdu with an English translation. He'll discuss literary traditions in Pakistan, the cultural influences of different cities, and the important role of women in Pakistani literature. The conversation begins with Christopher Merrill asking Khalik about writing poetry in both English and Urdu. The interesting thing, Harris, is that you work in both English and Urdu, and I hope that we might begin by having you sketch out what the literary landscape looks like in Pakistan for a writer in working in the two major languages. Um, thank you very much, Christopher. It's a, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here this afternoon in Poetry Foundation. Um, your question is, uh, uh, is very relevant because in Pakistan, uh, unlike what people think outside, English is not in currency as much as, uh, uh, you know, people think in Europe or North America. English is one of the many languages in which we write in, and our genius still is not fully realized in English as perhaps it is happening more so in, in, in India. Uh, Urdu is the main language of our uh, cultural expression and literary expression and public discourse, uh, but we have major literary traditions and, and, uh, and major writers still writing in other Pakistani languages, Sindhi, Saraiki, Punjabi, Pashto, Balochi, and, you know, and many other languages that we have. Um, so um, English is one of the many. Uh, so I wouldn't really um, see um, English as, as the main language after Urdu. And uh, as far as the literary landscape is concerned, there's an advantage if you write in English. Um, because, you know, it's, it's more accessible. It is a European language. It, it is an international language. And the languages which are not European or, or Arabic or Far Eastern languages uh, are always at a disadvantage. So I, I hope and, and, I, and I wish that more translations of, of Urdu and other Pakistani languages are available to international readership so that a full, you know, sort of picture of, of Pakistani literature can be established. So where do you fit into this? There's, there's another dimension to, uh, uh, to your question. I see English as uh, we, we come from a multilingual society. Traditionally, it has been a multilingual society, except for a few pockets of, of uh, 
a few regions where um, you know one language was spoken um, by the literati or by artists um, or by the poets. Uh, so in that multicultural, multilingual tradition, uh, English was introduced a few hundred years ago, uh, and it has done us well. Uh, it has uh, expanded our horizons. It has uh, connected us uh, with the rest of the world in ways which were not known to some of our literary predecessors. But it has also replaced Persian as our support language, as it were. Uh, Persian was our, uh, you know, our support language. I use the term sort of liberally, uh, which connected us with the intellectual tradition and and the literary tradition of Central Asia and West Asia. Uh, but English has connected us to the literary tradition uh, more so in recent years uh, from across the world. So it has enriched us in in many ways. And some of us have been trained in in both languages. So um, in a way, uh, if my um, father's generation or my grandfather's generation particularly um, had Persian as their second language, uh, a second cultural language, if not the first language. Uh, uh, for us, it is English. So um, uh, it is actually, um, it enriches the expression of my Urdu work and uh, and my knowing of or, or being grounded into a North Indian, South Asian, Pakistani linguistic tradition. It perhaps uh, uh, brings a different flavor uh, to what I write in English. And do you have access to the Persian tradition as well? Absolutely. I think um, um, most of us who write in Urdu even now, um, I see it uh, uh, civilizationally, if I may uh, uh, you know, uh, use the term, uh, I see it as a part of, all of us are a part of a Persio-Indo-Gangetic uh, tradition which is the, the Persian tradition, Iran, what is now Iran, Pakistan, and uh, northern India. Uh, that is our, our, our linguistic landscape and our cultural landscape. Uh, I'm not speaking about states and, you know, and issues of politics. I'm just speaking about the, uh, uh, the civilization that we belong to. And uh, uh, Urdu is one of the major languages in, 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 in that civilization. And uh, so I see myself rooted in all, all these uh, uh, you know, uh, subcultures, which are a part of the larger civilization. And then, of course, um, um, you know, the, the Western tradition of writing and, and Western tradition of the new, the, the sensibility that, is, that has uh, been introduced into our writing and into our thinking uh, over the last couple of centuries. I know from previous conversations with you that Fez Ahmed Fez, who's been well translated into English, was uh, an influence on your early writing and perhaps your bearing to the world. Could you talk a little bit about him? Early writing, yes. Uh, I would say that Faz is one of our icons, and and uh, he's a cultural icon, not just a poet, uh, because he has uh, contributed to our prose also, in and and to our journalism, and and to the to the tradition of uh, artists coming out and campaigning for for people's rights um, and trade unions. Uh, so he he definitely uh, has had an influence on my writing also, but he has I think of him as more of a of a uh, of a symbol for writers, somebody who actually bridges the gap between art for art and art for life, because Faz does not compromise on his aesthetics, and at the same time he has a he has a, a you know a developed social consciousness. So I definitely see myself uh, being inspired. Uh, from his writing and from his person. So Fez is one influence. No doubt there are others. 
Christopher, I think I'm more um, influenced or, or, or I like a couple of people uh, more uh, than any other poet now. Uh, they include Noon Meem Rashid, Akhtar Ali Iman. And uh, I'm not influenced by that particular individual, but I think uh, he was an avant-garde poet of Urdu. And he, um, again, sort of introduced new f- uh, patterns of thinking in in our in our uh, corpus that's miraji they were all uh, you know they all three of them are the middle of the 20th century and uh, you know around the middle of the 20th century poets how would you describe those patterns those new patterns of thinking for instance i i would compare miraji for instance with marki disad at one level miraji died very young and perhaps marki disad uh, spent as many years in jail as miraji, miraji uh, you know got on this planet. I mean, you know, he, he died uh, in his 30s. But, um, but you know, this, this sexuality and, and, and uh, non-conformism uh, that Miraji introduced into uh, uh, Urdu uh, verse uh, is, uh, has not happened either before him or after him. I mean, there is erotica in any language, in any literature. But, you know, it's a, it's a different sensuality and, and, and sensibility that he introduced. And Noonmeem Rashid is, uh, is um, you know, is a master craftsman. And he uh, enriched the Azad Nazm, the free verse in Urdu, like nobody else did. And his, his you know, his canvas is, is very broad. Although people say that Faiz Ahmed Faiz had a broad canvas, he definitely had. But, you know, Rashid is a poet's poet. So, and Akhtar Liman is an, is an Indian poet who was very direct and simple, but at the same time had a lot of depth. And he was also a Nazm poet. Uh, and Majid Amjad, I must also mention. Uh, Majid Amjad also, you know, he wrote about the ordinary, about the mundane, like Ogden Nash did. And uh, that is something that, you know, these poets, I think I should mention as, as people who, if not influenced me, certainly inspired me. And as a writer, you have adopted a, a strong social activist outlook. That's a, a, that's a part of your makeup, right? It is, and uh, I think it it has a background. I it has a background in in Eastern Europe and in North America, for instance. Uh, being a socialist is is uh, is something that uh, that is looked down upon because of a certain uh, political trajectory. Uh, but in our, our part of the world, in South Asia particularly, but in also uh, in other developing countries or the third world countries, uh, socialism has had a different meaning for uh, our predecessors, for the generations that came before us, uh, for people who believed in, in liberation and human rights and equality. Because um, uh, you have to appreciate that uh, uh, socialists have remained in opposition uh, all along. And uh, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, South Asia has remained a very casteist and classist and anti-human society, or there were classes of people, elites, uh, which have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, very oppressive over 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 centuries. So, um, so of course, I mean, I, I see myself as as rooted in that tradition of of resistance and in that tradition of opposition to powers that be. <laughs> and maybe um, uh, if Faiz Ahmed Faiz or people like us had been in in Stalinist Russia, then we had been defectors there. And but you know, it's a difference. So it, I think context is important. Uh, but fundamentally, I think Faiz. And uh, his, uh, you know, people, his successors or, or, or people who came after him um, uh, have, a, have a, you know, have a staunch, strong belief in uh, belief 
in in democracy, in in human rights, in in uh, egalitarianism, in justice for all, in social justice. So I think I I do come from that tradition. But for an artist, for a poet, I believe that um, uh, you know a poem has to be a poem first, or or a painting has to be uh, a work of art first, uh, and then of course uh, your consciousness can um, can further. Um, uh, nuance it and you know uh, give a message out but the 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 fundamental role or the 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 role of art is not to be uh, uh, propaganda i mean there's a difference there's a difference between uh, uh, journalists and and writers uh, you know creative writers journalists will present facts creative writers will uh, present stories but if those stories are about ordinary people and common people and and uh, chronicle the pain and suffering that we see around us uh, then I think uh, that serves the purpose. But the aesthetics must not be compromised. So how do you manage that relationship then between politics and poetry, between politics and art? Well, um, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a tightrope to walk. And you can't really be making decisions consciously when you're writing. Uh, but if something is there at a subconscious level, you, you believe in something that art has to, uh, uh, to be art. Uh, but then also, Christopher, there comes a time when you have to be very direct and uh, you have to, it has to be in the face. Because, for instance, in Pakistan, uh, what we have been uh, going through over the last two, actually for long, but, you know, certainly for the last uh, two decades, I mean, we have seen 70,000 citizens killed by, by terrorists of various hues and colors. And, and we have seen uh, uh, so much uh, suffering for, for our women and for our minorities and actually for the majority of people. I mean, if you, if you look at the, uh, you know, the marginalization and the dispossession that we see around us. Um, and so, so sometimes you have to be, I mean, you, you become direct. You can't help it. And it has to be uh, um, really incisive and, and, uh, and, and scathing uh, uh, your art piece so that it jolts people. Uh, but, but having said that, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a large, it's a large canvas. So, you know, from, from some very subtle uh, love poems to uh, very direct political poems, I think there's a broad range uh, that you will find in in Urdu poetry or in other other languages in Pakistan, and I think I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that uh, sort of mixed tradition. Can you give us an example? Can you read yeah, us yeah, sure. read us something? Maybe um, in English and in Urdu, maybe to give us a sense of the spectrum within which you work, from the pure love poem to the indictment. I can start uh, um, by reading a poem in Urdu. And then I will, because I have uh, the translation available, so I can read in Urdu and then I can uh, read the translation. And then, you know, I'll read an English poem, um, a couple of short English poems, which I have uh, uh, written recently. And I shared those in, in Shambo House in uh, the International Writing Program uh, a few weeks ago. In the times of love. That is what it means, the title. बसंत आती पखेरू नीची उड़ान करते और उसकी आंखों में खाब भरते तो सब पतंगे किसी बहाने से कट के उसकी दराज पलकों से जा उलझती मोहल्ले भर के तमाम लड़के जो उन पतंगों को लूटने की गरज लिए उसके पास आते ठिठक से जाते 
उसी समय वो बड़े यकीन से तमाम सपनों का हाल कहती सब उस पर हंसते भी शक भी करते तब उसकी अफसुर्दगी की बारिश से बनने वाले अमीक दरिया में डूब जाते कभी किसी को नजर ना आते मगर कोई एक सारी बातों को सच समझता वो खुद भी सपनों में खोसा जाता अजीब सी एक नज्म लिखता फलाह पाता द ट्रांसलेशन perhaps uh, not the best of translations available because i did it myself uh, <laughs> in the times of love spring arrives birds fly low to fill her eyes with dreams the soaring kites look for ways to get their strings cut come down and get entangled into her long pointed eyelashes boys from the neighborhood who come running after these kites pause and stagger shaken by her presence in that very moment of truth she reveals all her dreams one by one they laugh at her doubt her words saddened her sadness brings rain the rain makes a river the river swells drowns them all never to be seen again but there is a believer who trusts in whatever she says swaddled in dreams of his own writes one strange poem to be salvaged redeemed Do you think of yourself as being a different poet in Urdu than you are in English? I have never thought about it. I think the choice of themes and the language uh, uh come to you um naturally, if I may say so. There is a there is a, it, it is at your subconscious level uh that a decision is made. It is also it also depends on uh the words and images that you are surrounded with in your head at that particular time. um so i think uh, i haven't really given it that much thought but um that you know what makes me decide to write in a in a certain language i do not see myself a different poet in the two languages poetry itself is is the language and then these are i see the the languages in which in which i write occasionally uh, i also write in punjabi very occasionally and or a few lines in 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 farsi in persian uh but the the two major languages in which i write in are perhaps the two dialects for me for my language of poetry uh so i sort of switch between the two dialects but the language my language is poetry so in the run up to writing a poem in that sort of preverbal state are you here are you hearing it in one language or another or are the there are images accumulating or is it a cadence that's going to trigger the poem i think it is it is uh it is the cadence that that triggers the poem the cadence would be tied to a language the cadence will be tied to one language mm-hmm. yeah so it happens you know before writing it down you know the lines or or the the poem starts coming to you in a particular language 
So I don't translate. I mean, I don't have to, to translate. Being bilingual is not about being bilingual in one uh, poem. Yeah. Uh, I have to, because, you know, uh, you asked me that, you know, uh, how um, uh, the direct poems, how do they read? So let me, let me uh, read for you two unpublished poems, which I have written just recently. And so these, these are two short poems in English, which were just very, uh, you know, recently I wrote. Burying martyrs who are heavy. Burying martyrs who are heavy. We are turned into a funeral procession. All 180 million of us. We carry 100,000 bodies on our shoulders. We are told they are martyrs. And martyrs are light. Light like rose petals. But the ones we carry are heavy. They have metal inside. Bullets, shrapnel, pellets, nails. Tips of swords and daggers broken into flesh. The bodies will dissolve in the mud once buried. But the metal will keep the earth hard under our feet for long. And the other poem recently written is, is titled Remains. Remains. After the massacre, the night has fallen, moonless and dry. Let us collect the scattered body parts. It's easier, less painful, in the darkness of the sky. An arm cannot be made out from a leg. Fingers from toes, a child's torso from a big man's thigh. But what about the head? A head is a head, whether living or dead. Uh, that's a searing poem. When you write a poem like Remains, which has uh, such stark political content, how will that be received in Pakistan? And does that then shape the literary landscape, the conversation? Pakistan has a very uh, strong uh, poetic tradition. But the there is a there is another side to it i mean the art and 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 you know and poetry and anything uh, that is uh, subversive or that is liberating uh, is under threat there is a challenge uh, but i must say uh, that uh, there is a large number of people who who receive it uh, 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 with a lot of uh, uh, you know warmth and 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 also um, you would find uh, uh, in smaller cities, I mean, you have been to Pakistan, Christopher. You have been to the largest city, I, I believe. Uh, but if you if you go out into the countryside and in smaller cities, you will find a large, perhaps not for the English language poetry, uh, but for poetry uh, per se. Um, so I think it is very well received. I mean, poetry still is uh, very well received, although um, it is still seen as a threat, as I said earlier, um, because uh, if it hadn't been seen as a threat. Uh, then poets or writers or, or journalists particularly 
uh, will not be um, you know attacked or eliminated and it's not just necessarily the state um, which sees uh, writing as a threat it is also the the forces of bigotry and darkness the kind of conservatism that has engulfed us which which is a uh, you know a more potent threat to the existence of uh, of the writing community and the art artist art you know the art community uh, you may have uh, i mean if you may recall uh, that there were artists performers uh, singers and dancers uh, who were killed uh, by uh, these religious extremists and uh, there are writers who are under threat from uh, some non religious parties also uh, who would do uh, violent politics in, in in under some other tag ethnic or or linguistic so i think it is it is a difficult situation but at the same time uh, there's a lot of warmth and respect uh, that you find in pakistan for artists and you you mentioned the city you you've you've lived in karachi the biggest city in pakistan you now live in islamabad you've also lived in london i wonder if you could talk a bit about the the influence of the city on your work as a writer and you've been in such different kinds of large metropolises maybe i wonder if that's had an impact on your work i have a series of poems where uh, um i have written about which are portraitures uh, character based poems a series uh, about uh, you know my generation of people in karachi uh, from rickshaw pullers and from uh, young uh, i mean i wrote those poems when i was young you know young working women uh, uh, in the face of all odds coming out and and making their presence felt and and supporting their families you know uh, people who are who come from different social backgrounds so i think uh, karachi has uh, has not just shaped me shaped my writing in a particular way it has actually conditioned me and uh, that is important that is important because uh, it is a, a melting pot uh, it is a very cosmopolitan i mean regionally cosmopolitan for sure you can't compare it with new york or or, or london uh, but regionally very cosmopolitan and uh, very diverse city and uh, so and it has it is some it is a city where i see the tragedy of partition culminating how so you see karachi has seen a lot of violence and karachi has uh, a, you know a large number of people who had or whose whose uh, uh, ancestors migrated from what is now india to pakistan in in 1947 or or you know the years following 1947 uh so there is a there is a you know a lot of violence and there is a search for identity uh for for these people uh within pakistan there then you have these large communities of people in migrants from pakistan large communities of people from iran and afghanistan after the revolutions in the two countries communities of people from bangladesh and and as distant as vietnam and and cambodia uh, a small uh sri lankan community uh, so they all have sort of converged in karachi which means that for in a in a country i mean karachi itself is is a hugely rich city for some people uh and it gives it provides opportunities for for bread and butter that's why people come to karachi they still come to karachi even after so much violence uh, uh, the city has seen but these tensions and and this uh, uh hostility that uh, communities have faced uh from uh, uh, gang leaders and from uh, the the criminal gang the criminal uh, uh, 
you know the criminal gangs in the city operating in different neighborhoods uh, so local warlords i would say um so it it is it is a, a you know a difficult city to live in but there's no other experience uh, uh in the whole region uh, comparable to living in karachi and it has so much more to offer there is another side to the city this it is so it is so resilient in so many ways uh, which you don't find anywhere else um so yes i uh, i think it has it has had an impact london is different of course but then uh, london somehow is connected to um uh, to the south asian psyche and because london was the capital of of south asia for for a, for 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 about 100 years directly and for 200 years indirectly and um uh, and there is a large community and uh, and uh, also writers who who have lived there in exile or um that was the first stop us is far away so you you find people there uh from the south asian one of our one of the books i did with a, with an indian uh, co-author a friend of mine uh, was also set in london it was all about the south asian diaspora uh, we spoke about the partition of 47 the dismemberment of pakistan and creation of bangladesh in 71 and the experiences of south asian diaspora and how can we promote pluralism and and peace in the whole region by looking at you know the suffering and and pain of 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 people who have gone through these wars and these partitions and dismemberments of of countries so i think uh, london has a specific uh, you know has a has a certain place in our imagination uh, but uh, uh, when when it comes to islamabad i think islamabad in many ways is it's it's a city in the making it is a very it's not a really a metropolitan as uh, as you suggested that these all three cities can but it is sort of it's a small city by south asian standards perhaps by european standards it's a sizable city but you know uh, but in in by south asian standards it's a small city and but it is becoming um, more and more cosmopolitan because it is a capital city and it's a purpose built capital so there is a community of of writers and there is a community of readers in islamabad which is uh, which is very strong now i must say i mean i come from karachi i was born there brought up there uh my both my parents came from uh different places in in south asia uh but they you know decided to settle in karachi or or somehow it happened that i was uh, you know um born there and went to school there but now i see that you know islamabad is uh, not far from home and it is catching up in the good sense as well as, <laughs> as well as in in the bad sense also because you know cities have their own dynamic when they become large I know that you have addressed uh, the plight of women in your writings also in columns and on our way over here today you were describing a friend who's created uh, a school uh, the one rupee school uh, for underprivileged kids could you talk a little bit about um the women's perspective uh, in poetry and the kinds of issues that you try to address in your work Christopher I see uh, Fahmida Riaz for instance uh, who's our leading poet and Kishwar Nahid who uh, you know who's my neighbor in Islamabad lives very close to where I live uh, these two women for instance in in this uh, time and age as the the most important or two of the most important poets writing in Urdu and not just in Urdu in any South Asian language and they have uh, you know redefined uh the place of women in our society and in our imagination not just in art but also on the street 
And uh, and there are many other women. I'm just giving you, uh, taking two names because these two women I know that, you know, they have a certain uh, a definite quality to uh, what they have written. And how would you describe that? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, they, they have provided that voice to uh, downtrodden women, to marginalized women, to disadvantaged women and girls of our society. And, uh, it, and that voice is, is, is a very liberating voice. And it's, it's a, it, it starts with, the, with the, the consciousness about a woman's body and the confidence in being a woman from there to uh, movements for restoration of democracy and movements for, for restoration of fundamental rights. Women like these have actually led the way. And, uh, so, and I, I have always maintained uh, um, that if there is any hope for the Pakistani society, it comes from our women, whether they are writers or whether they are uh, you know, pursuing other professions, because they have actually completely... Uh, transform the landscape in the sense that if you go to our major universities and medical schools and, and, and law sc uh, colleges and engineering schools, the majority of students you would find will be women. This is this, that side of the story about Pakistan, uh, which is neither known nor discussed. Uh, and uh, with all our you know, uh, 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 problems and issues and crises that we keep and I personally keep lamenting about, uh, there's this silent revolution being brought about by women and, and girls. And Malala is one small example of that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. In, in Iran, 70% uh, of the university students are women now, uh, the, a little-known fact in the Western world. Does that extend to poetic form in, in Urdu? Are, the, are they working in different forms than perhaps their predecessors might have? Well, uh, they not particularly these two women. Uh, Kishwar has written, um, um, you know, uh, prose poetry also, which is something which is not fully established. I mean, it is uh, some if, if the poet is good, the poems are appreciated, but the form itself, the genre itself uh, is not fully established. But Kishwar has experimented with that. Femida is not. Femida is more uh, into rhyme and meter and prosody or verse libre or, you know, free verse or blank verse. I mean, she has written, but, you know, sort of established forms she has used. Um, but the poets that have come after them, uh, they have they have uh, extended the you know um, expanded the the boundaries or pushed the boundaries I would say, and um, so so there is a lot that that is happening now. But it's not just women; it's also men who are pushing the boundaries. Uh, but in terms of forms, uh, uh, it, the, the ghazal is so dominant in in Urdu language and literature. Uh, and any language which is, um, you know, which is influenced by Persian or has remained influenced by Persian at some point in history, uh, ghazal has taken, uh, you know, um, uh, sort of precedence over other genres. Even after, you know, poets like Dr. Muhammad Iqbal, Allama Iqbal, uh, who was primarily uh, a, a poet who would write nazm, which is the poem, which is which has the element of uh, of uh, of offering a narrative in 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 uh, verse form, uh, but still, you know, uh, people we have to, you know, people who are not essentially writing ghazals, you know, maybe you know some of us also write uh, uh, ghazals one, you know, um, just for the heck of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the uh, people who are not writing ghazals, they still find it hard uh, to um, um, you know get 
that kind of appreciation, that kind of instant popular appreciation, which a ghazal or a uh, or a poem in proper meter and following the rules, two hundred years old, two hundred year old rules of prosody uh, will have. So that is a struggle that that continues. But I think uh, it's changing. There's a lot of new consciousness, and there's a lot of new understanding of how literature should be appreciated and and criticized. And your own practice? Where do you, where do you come down on this? Well, I I think that's 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 Christopher. That takes me back to uh, the the first question that you asked today. Um, I think English gives me more liberty, and and space to experience with with forms and and genre, and uh, Urdu perhaps I've got so much historic uh, baggage for want of a better word because I don't think it's a baggage. I think it's my roots. But there's so much uh, history that I carry. Uh, um, uh, in Urdu, uh, that I think it 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 does impose certain limits. So while I appreciate uh, people experimenting with forms and have no issues with that at all, uh, unlike some some of our uh, senior uh, established critics, I myself I write azad nazm, which is free verse, uh, morra, which is blank verse. But at the same time, I also write quite a bit of uh, you know uh, uh, metrical. Uh, rhymed poems. Uh-huh. Could you talk a bit about uh, what would be some models in in, in the English verse tradition for you? Um, I think I like prose poetry and free verse. Then also, there is a, um, there is a rhyming which comes, and there is music in words, and uh, which is English has uh, sort of taken us uh, to a different level uh, because uh, English itself has been. Uh, has has actually borrowed quite a lot from other other languages through translations. So so that uh, you know expands the horizons, as I said earlier, and that expands the horizons not just in intellectual sense, but also when it comes to the skill of of writing poetry. But I still think that primarily I'm an Urdu language poet uh, who also writes in English, like uh, uh, you know Ghalib and Iqbal were Urdu language poets, but they also write in Persian. So I have no claims about my writing in English. I have no claims about my writing in Urdu either. But uh, but in the sense that it is my second language when it comes to poetry. When it comes to prose and nonfiction, I write more in English. But when it comes to poetry, I think it is my second language uh, for for expressing myself. The other dialect, as I put it. Well, thank you for expanding our horizons so completely this afternoon, Harris Kalik. Thank you very much, Christopher. That was Harris Kalik speaking with Christopher Merrill. This program was recorded at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago on September 24, 2015, as part of International Poets in Conversation, and was sponsored by the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute. Harris Kalik is the author of eight collections of poetry. Those in English include If Wishes Were Horses, published in 1996, Devon, 1998, and Between You and Your Love, originally published in 2004 and revised in 2012. The two English poems he read in this program, Bearing Martyrs Who Are Heavy and Remains, are unpublished. Christopher Merrill has authored six collections of poetry, including Watch Fire, published in 1995, Brilliant Water, 2001, and most recently, Boat and Necessities, both published in 2013. He is the editor of several volumes, among them 
The Forgotten Language, Contemporary Poets and Nature, and From the Faraway Nearby, Georgia O'Keeffe as Icon. He has also written five books of nonfiction. You can learn more about the world of poetry by visiting poetryfoundation.org, where you'll also find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 13,000 poems, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from poetryfoundation.org.